0: So we're going to be finishing up our, this portion of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter number 6. This is a, We did a little three-part study in, inside of the Sermon on the Mount of Jesus' teachings on prayer. And today we're going to look at Jesus' model prayer. In Matthew chapter number 6, verse number 9, he says, After this manner, therefore pray ye, So after Jesus gave us the, the, the rules, kind of the, the instructions of do this when you pray, don't do this when you pray, now he gives us a model. And I want you to notice something about the overall model, how short and brief it is. Oftentimes we, we think that if we pray a lot, that somehow that twists the arm of God. And we're not called to pray a lot. We are called to pray unceasingly, but we're not, we have our, our time of prayer with God. It doesn't have to be hours and hours. It can be short and to the point. And so he gives us this as a model for our prayer. This isn't a prayer that we're supposed to necessarily repeat. He doesn't say, repeat this prayer when you pray. He says, after this manner. He tells us this, that we pray after this manner. So he's kind of giving us like an outline, if you will. It's a model. It's something that we should pray through, not necessarily pray itself. But we look at this, and we study it, it'll help us to pray better. He was giving words, phrases, thoughts that, that are to be points in the believer's prayers. The, the believer is supposed to take this and develop these points and, and kind of expand this out to, to be fitting for whatever it is that we are praying for. First off, he starts with our Father. You know, it's important to know who it is that we're praying to. And We pray, when we pray, we pray to the Father. We pray through the power of the Holy Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name, but we're not praying to the Holy Spirit. We're not praying to Jesus. We're praying to the Father. This is important because this isn't just something that's going out to the universe. You ever met somebody that prays to the universe? Well, those prayers don't get answered because the universe doesn't answer prayers. We need a living God to answer prayers. We can't pray to nature. We can't pray to any other powers other than the power of God because He is the living God. Everything else is created by Him. I never understood why people would go and pray to the creation when they could pray to the Creator. So it's important that we know who it is. We're praying to our Father. Notice the the intimacy there. We're not just praying to to God the Father. We're praying to our Father. There's a certain intimacy. There's a certain closeness there. There's a, a, a certain level of benevolence there's a a thank you to the father we're recognizing the fact that we were adopted as his children there's one of those Publix commercials out and i don't know who writes the Publix commercials but they they've got a knack at you know in 30 seconds just like drilling a hole right into your heart and there's the one out now where the, the little girl's being raised by her stepdad and she calls him Chris, chris 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 all the way through the commercial have you seen that one And at the very end, you see how she addresses him? She says, thanks, Dad. And he just melts. See, because there's an intimacy there. He's taken her on as his own daughter, and God has adopted us out of this world. He's adopted us to be his children. I heard somebody say the other day, again, aren't we all God's children? No, the Bible says we are not all God's children. It's very clear on that point. It says we were all created by God. We were all created by God. We are all created on purpose. We were all created for a purpose. But we are not the children of God until we are adopted into the family of God. John chapter 1 says he gives us the power to become the sons of God. We become the children of God. So when we start our prayers out with our Father, we're recognizing that fact that he has adopted us. He has taken us out of this world He's taken us out of this world, and and now our our kinship isn't in this world. Our kinship is in heaven. We are part of the heavenly family. Our Father. We're thanking him for what he's done. We're thanking him for that fact. Our Father what? Which art in heaven. We're thanking him for the heavens. We're thanking him for his position. We're thanking him for the fact that, that he is over everything in this world. I think sometimes we lose concept of that. The fact that we say that God is in heaven doesn't mean that he's not here, but we understand that we need to understand that it's a different spiritual realm than what this is. What we understand and what we see and what we can measure and what we can identify in this, in this world, in this universe, was all created by him, in essence, for us. Things that we, we hold as, as, as truths that can't be changed like gravity and time and things of that nature. Those are things that were created for this universe. They don't necessarily apply in heaven. It's a different realm. So we recognize that we're praying to God, and we're praying to God in heaven. We recognize that he's above this realm. He's above this world. He's the creator of all this. He's not confined by this. Where we are confined... We're confined by our bodies, we're confined by rooms, we're confined by doors, we're confined by so many things. Sometimes our very thoughts and and memories confine us. God is undefined. He is is loose in all of this. He is above all of this. That's why creating a miracle is, is no problem for him. I can't walk on water. I can't stop the storms. That's physically impossible in this realm that I am limited to. But God is not of this realm. He created the realm, and there's nothing that he can't do within it. And we recognize that he's our father. We recognize that he is in heaven. We're recognizing the fact that he is above all this. That this God that we're praying to, he's bigger than we are. He's bigger than any problems in this world. He's bigger than anything that constrains us here. He's bigger than that. Why? Because he's in heaven. Christ taught his disciples to pray after this manner. When the believer prays through the Lord's Prayer, he he finds he has covered the scope of what God wants us to pray for. The believer's prayer is to be a prayer of surrender. You see, it's not just about when we call him Father, it's not just saying that we're recognizing the fact that he's adopted us, but it it also is showing us a a position of surrender on our part, where there's a, a hierarchy that even though we're redeemed, He's still above us. He's still our Father. Even though He came to earth and, and died on the cross of Calvary, He's still above us. And we show that surrender when we call Him Father. We show our, our humbleness to Him. We show that personality, of that personalness of it, when we say, our Father. Notice also that word, our, there. There's some people that take and say that prayer, you know, because at one point God, Jesus says, go in like your closet and pray. That they're saying that prayer should never be done in public. Prayer should never be done together. Prayer should only be done alone, only done in the closet. But this prayer that he gave us, the model prayer, starts out our. It implies that more than one person is praying together. Husbands, pray with your wives. Fathers, mothers, pray with your children. Pray with them. Get together. Groups, the the ladies group, they, they prayed together yesterday. We pray together at church. There's no no problem in that. As long as we're following the outline that he's given us, as long as we're following the rules that he's given us that we talked about in the past two weeks. We're surrendering our Father who art in heaven. We're surrendering not just to the Father, but to heaven, to the the spiritual world, to the dimensions of the being, of, of, of the things that we can't even understand. We surrender the holy name of God. When we go to God in prayer, our position needs to be a a state of complete surrender to him. It's not about me going in with my will and saying, God, do this. Like we said, he's not a genie in a bottle where we we force him to grant our wishes. We go in with with an attitude of surrender. We go in with an attitude of, you're my father. You're in control of everything. Then I want your will to be done. We go in totally dependent upon God. When a person reaches this point of surrender, he's truly ready to present his needs to God. Too often we we, we do an abbreviated prayer. We just go and say, God, I want this, I want this, I want this, I want this. And we never humble ourselves. We never surrender ourselves. If we're not humbling ourselves and we're surrendering ourselves, then we wonder, well, why isn't God answering the prayers the way I want him to? Why would he? When he's told us how to come before him. You know, there's there's certain protocols that, that take place when, you, when you're going to go meet somebody of, of stature, of, of high elevation. You know, if you're going to England and you're going to meet the king, before you meet the king, somebody's going to take you to the side. He said, This is what you do. This is how you address them. This is how you move. This is where you stand. Because there's a certain protocol when you approach the king of England. Same way with the president. If you go to meet the president, this is where you're going to stand. This is what you're going to do. This is how it's There's a certain protocol that we meet. How much more so would we meet a protocol when we walk into the throne room of God? He gives us the protocol. He says, this is how you do it. And yet we're like, ah, we don't want to do it that. We want to do it our way. And we go in and we do it our way without any humbleness, without any surrender, and we demand things of God, and then we wonder why God doesn't honor our prayers. How self-centered. In verse number 10, we start to see that that we have a a request, a a plea, and we're supposed to plea for a, a few things specifically here. First of all, thy kingdom come. That shows us that God's kingdom isn't here yet. There are many teachers out there that will say that this is the kingdom of God. This isn't the kingdom of God. They'll say, well, the church body is the kingdom of God. No, this, the church isn't the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is coming, and we're to pray for that coming kingdom. What we have here through, through Christian fellowship and through interaction with other Christians, even the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, it, it's simply a taste. It's a teaser of the kingdom that's coming. It's a a little little pre-taste. It's the appetizer, if you will, of the true kingdom that's coming. Thy kingdom come. We're to pray after this manner. We're saying, Father, let your kingdom come right here, right now on the earth. Let Christ rule and reign in the hearts of the people of this earth. Let him reign and rule in my heart. We're praying that he'll be sent, that Jesus Christ will come back. He will establish his kingdom and... And we pray for the sovereignty of God right now. God, I pray, even so, come, Lord Jesus, come. Thy kingdom come. Then the next one is what? Thy will be done. You notice before we've even asked for anything other than His kingdom to come, we're praying, God, we want your will to be done. We're praying for God's will. So often, Christians get frustrated because they they don't get what they think they deserve. By the way, that's a very dangerous, that's some very dangerous thin ice to stand on to pray to God to give me what I deserve. Because we deserve hell, every single one of us. We don't like to admit that, but we are all degenerate in our own ways. And we, none of us are worthy to stand before God, not, not in the throne room of God through prayer and not physically at, at the rapture. None of us are worthy to stand before God. So don't pray that you get what you deserve because you deserve hell. It's only by the grace of God that you have the privilege and the ability to stand in the throne room of God, that you have the privilege and the ability to, to be able to pray to God and to be taken up at that time of the rapture. It's just his grace. That's it. It's 100% by his grace, by his goodness, that we can count it a privilege that when we close our eyes here, if for some reason today is my last day, and maybe right here in this pulpit, I take a long pause and I just sit down on the ground and close my eyes. Wouldn't that be a wonderful way to go? Freak out everybody in the room, but it'd be great for me. My mom's probably watching, so probably not so great for her. By the way, if that happens, somebody needs to go check on my mom. Real quick. Her her number's in here. V's got her number, too. But anyways, she's freaking out right now. But if that should happen, don't cry for me. Don't worry about me. You know why? Because when I close my eyes here and I open them back up, I'm in the presence of my Lord. But that's not because of me. That's not because I deserve it. I deserve hell. It's because of the grace of God. By the grace of God, I I repented of my sins and I I turned to Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us that that we're all sinners. Every single one of us is a sinner. and What we deserve because of our sin is we deserve hell. That's universal. It doesn't matter how good, it doesn't matter how bad, we all deserve hell. It's a universal truth of the Bible. But... The Bible tells us, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He tells us there's a gift. There's a gift that we we can obtain. This gift, and how does that gift come through Jesus Christ? Jesus Christ says, "I am the way, the truth, and the life. No no one cometh before the Father, but through, but by me." That was pretty close. All right, that was pretty close. You got it. So I need to write. I need to write every every verse in my sermon, and I don't. We have one way to heaven. It's through Jesus Christ. That's it. There is no other way. That's it. One way. I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. Because of that, not because of anything I did other than accept him, accept his gift, accept his grace, I just turned from my sins and turned to him. See, I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross of Calvary for my sins. I believe he was laid in the ground, in the grave, and covered with a stone, and three days later he walked out of that grave. I believe that Jesus Christ was God the Son, is God the Son. And I believe that he paid for my sins, and I accept that payment. I hope that everybody here has done the same thing. Because he gave you the power. When he talks about in John chapter 1, he gave us the power to become the sons of God. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about the price that he paid on Calvary. That he gave us the ability to become the sons of God. We become the children of God. And a father doesn't forget his children. Not a perfect father. Earthly fathers, that's a whole different game. But our heavenly father will never forget his children. And whether I close my eyes here and open them up in the presence of the Lord, or that, that, that voice sounding like an archang- archangel comes and, and takes me home, either way, in the end, I'm going to be standing in His presence. So Don't mourn for me. Mourn for yourselves, because you've got to live without me. I don't know how you people are going to get along. I have no idea where I'm in my notes either. Oh, here it is. Thy will be done. What does that mean? This says three critical things about God. When we say thy will be done, it implies that we're actually working for his will to be done. It's not just words. There needs to be action. What are you doing? What are you doing for God's will to be done? God tells us his will in the Bible. And first and foremost, it's his will, it's his desire that none should perish and go to hell. Number one. That's it. So what are you doing to make that a reality? Because we know, according to the Bible, people die every single day and go to hell. What are you doing to make his will reality? Are you telling people? Are you sharing the gospel? Are you telling them the truth that that there is a God that loves them so much that he sent his only begotten son to die for them? Are you doing that? If we're going to pray for his will to be done, then we need to work. Our work needs to be pleasing to God. Our work needs to be furthering His will. We'd also need to understand that God can do with us as He pleases. When we say, your will be done, what we're saying is, God, whatever it takes for your will to be done in my life, I want you to do that. I want you to do that, God. You want me to, you want me to move? You want me to quit my job? You want me to, 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 to volunteer at church? You, you know, what do you want me to do, God? Whatever it is you want me to do to further your will... I'm surrendering to you. You're my father. Tell me what to do. We're also saying we're not going to be displeased with what God does, whether we understand it or not. Sometimes God does things I don't understand it. Sometimes God allows things to be done and I don't understand it. And that used to be really, really hard for me because I'm one of these people I like to understand things. I like to I like to know things. I like trivia. I like I like details. And so when I see something and I don't understand it, I have to dig in deeper and I have to learn. And sometimes a lot of times God is way above my understanding. And sometimes as hard as it is for me, sometimes I just have to sit back and say God, I don't understand it. God, I wouldn't have done it this way. God, this doesn't even look right to me, but you know what? you're God, and I'm not. We look at, look at the prophet Hezekiah. Habakkuk. Starts with the H, I was close. We look at the prophet Habakkuk, and, and we see that, that in his book, I love that book, by the way. It's a very short book, very poetic. But it, it we look at that, and in the beginning of that book, it's all about Habakkuk saying, God, you're wrong. God, you allowed this to happen, you allowed this, we're your people, God. And you allowed this? You're there, there's people coming. One, you know, half of our people are already in captivity. And the other half, they're they're coming to take us, God. And your judgment's wrong, and everything about you is wrong, and everything you're doing is wrong. And this is God's prophet, and He's angry. And by the third chapter, He says, "But even if everything dies, even if all the trees die, and all the plants die, and all the animals die." which means I'm going to die and everybody else is going to you're still God. You're still God, and I will love you, and I will follow you no matter what. That's tough. But when we say, thy will be done, we have to understand, this is what we're saying. We're understanding that, God, sometimes we're just not going to understand. Sometimes bad things are going to happen, and we're not going to understand why. Sometimes we're going to lose loved ones, and we're not going to understand why. We just have to have faith that God is in control, that God is still sitting on the throne. Then he tells us, he says, give us this day our daily bread. You've heard me say it a hundred times. This, I think, is one of the hardest parts for us here in America because we are so spoiled. We have been blessed by God so much that we are so spoiled and so we have this, this feeling of entitlement. That's why I encourage people to, to go on the mission field and, and just spend a week in some of these other countries where you, where you go and you spend time with people, and the, you know, they may make $5,000 a year for the entire family, if that. And they're still happy, and they're still serving the Lord, and they're still giving above, way above their 10%. And we go, we're like, it just doesn't make any sense. It makes sense in God's economy. We go to our refrigerator, we pray, God, give us our daily bread. We don't really mean it. Why? Because we know we got a refrigerator full of bread. I got a refrigerator, I got a freezer, and then I got another freezer with stuff in it just because God's blessed me so much. So, where's the sincerity where I'm praying for his, His daily bread? It's tough to get to, it's easy to lose sight of that. But we have to recognize that everything that's in that refrigerator came because of the hand of God, not because of me, not because of your efforts. Every dollar that passes through your hand was placed there by God. And when we start recognizing that, it becomes a lot easier to pray for our daily bread because we realize how quick we could lose it all. You know, we hear the stories of people you know, one paycheck away from being on the street. And that's a reality for so many people. Give us our daily bread. That word us and our, it's it's overcoming selfishness. It's It's showing concern for others because when we're praying, God, give us our daily bread. We're not just praying for us, like individually. We're praying for other people. We're praying for others around us as well. We're praying, God, give me the ability to provide for my family. By the way, men, that's your job to provide for your family. I have, I have no problem at all with, with women working. My wife works. I have no problem at all with that. But understand, guys, you're going to give an account. It's your job to provide for your family. There's a hierarchy in the family. And, and guys, it, it's your job to make sure that everything is provided for. If you're not providing for your family, I don't know what to tell you. You're, you're living in a sinful state. Now I understand sometimes there's certain situations where you can't, you know, due to health issues or... Or, or physical handicap, there, there are certain situations. But generally speaking, guys, you're supposed to be providing. Whatever your wife brings in, that, that's, that's extra money. That's found money. Give us this day our daily bread. It's not just about me, it's about other people. And we're talking about this day. See, not only are we supposed to pray this every day to, to give us our daily bread, but, but it eliminates the worry, and it eliminates the anxiety over tomorrow because we're living in today. Not to worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow's got enough worry for itself today. It's our daily bread. Our daily, every, every believer has a portion. We have enough. God has promised to supply our need. He also supplies some of our wants, but, but it's our needs. It's our daily bread. We pray for our daily portion. And it's our daily portion, not somebody else's daily portion. It's ours. We're praying for mine. I'm not praying to take his or or to take hers. I'm praying for my daily bread. And what are we asking for bread? Why does he use the word bread here? Because it it implies much more than food. And it does imply all food, but it's, it's basic necessities. And the culture that he's speaking in right now, the most basic thing was to have enough bread to eat. They would survive on their bread. If they were lucky, they would get maybe some fish or sometimes some other kind of meat in there. But it was the bread that sustained them. It was the most basic of foods. And if you look around the world, you'll see in most cultures, one of the most basic foods is a type of bread. Because it fills and it sustains. It has vitamins and nutrients in it that they need. Many countries, you know, we, when we think of tortilla, what do we think of? We think of Mexico. But if you go to most countries, they have something very similar to that. A, a thin bread that they cook up. Because it it sustains them. It gives them the energy that they need to be able to do what they need to do. It's the very, very basic of things. We're saying, God, give me the most basic of things because I I recognize and I surrender to you that that I know that even these basic things are coming from you. Every bite I take is coming from you. By asking him to give us, we're, we're confessing and realizing our inadequacy and our dependence upon God. Everything can be taken away from us so quick. It wouldn't take much for every comfort that we know to be taken away. We saw that the past couple of years through the, the pandemic. We saw so many things that we took granted for that were just gone with, with supply chains that just miraculously the supply chains failed. And other issues failed, and other things were just falling apart. And and suddenly we couldn't get basic things. Couldn't find the the chips that were needed to. Um... Corey, will you check on them? We couldn't get the chips that were needed to build cars. Something like a old chip. We couldn't get certain foods. We couldn't get certain fruits and vegetables. They were just they were just gone from the plates. Or priced so expensively that we couldn't afford them anymore. We delude ourselves in this country to thinking that, that everything is okay and everything will be the same way tomorrow, but it can all be taken away so quick. It's only maintained by the grace of God. And when we humble ourselves in this prayer and we're praying "You give us our daily bread, we're recognizing the fact that we're inadequate to, to maintain this. Back during the war, they would have victory gardens, which I think is something that people should do today, by the way. I think everybody should have a garden where they, they're, they're growing something. If nothing else, just enough so that you can give it away or barter for something else. But we should all, I think, be growing something. One of these days, I'm going to grow something other than weeds out in my yard. I'm going to do it. I'm telling you. Not tomatoes. But I'm going to grow something. Corn. I like corn. I think I'll grow corn. I've grown corn before. And, and, you know... But we have to also understand that even if we have a garden, even if we're growing things, that that everything that sprouts, it sprouts by the grace of God. It grows by the hand of God. Everything. We plant, we water, just like with souls. We plant, we water, but God gives the increase. God gives the increase. He says, and forgive us our debts as as we forgive our debtors. We're asking God to forget the debt of sin. We failed God in our duties. We failed God in so many ways. Therefore, we need God to forgive our debt. The the prayer of the lost sinner coming to Christ, that's what the prayer is. It's it's a prayer of begging for forgiveness. But even after we're born again, even after we're a child of God, (coughs) we still need to pray that prayer because we slip up. We have bad thoughts. Sometimes those bad thoughts turn into bad actions. And we need to go back to God and pray to God. It would be nice if when we accepted Christ as our Savior suddenly we're perfect and we don't sin anymore. But that's not the way it works, at least not here. There will be a time when that old nature will be completely taken away from us. But today we live with it. And today sometimes we do things that we're not very proud of. We're doing things that Don't bring honor and glory to God. And we need to pray, God, forgive us our debts. We're forgetting not just the debt of sin, but the the debt of of the guilt, the debt of the punishment that we deserve. We're to pray for that forgiveness. You see, just because we're saved and we don't have to worry about hell doesn't mean that there's not repercussions for our actions. When we make sinful decisions, one, there's worldly consequences if we decide that we want to continue to put drugs in our body or continue to put alcohol in our body or cigarettes, there are earthly consequences to those things. It would break my heart when I was working at the hospital and I'd be there in an ICU to see somebody that had smoked most of their life to, to grasp for air, to try and suck in air. They got pure oxygen going in through their nose and they just can't get oxygen because of the choices they made. There are earthly consequences to sin. But there's also spiritual consequences to sin. Sin in this world, for the believer, what sin does is sin builds separation between us and our Father. It it destroys the the ability for us to easily communicate with Him, to easily talk to Him, and, and easily hear from Him. It breaks that up. It builds a wall between us. Not the same wall that was between us when we were were enemies of Christ before we accepted Him as our Savior. But now as believers, we allow that wall to be built up. But here's the great thing. That wall comes tumbling down with forgiveness. When we humble ourselves and we go before God and we ask for God to forgive us, that wall is taken down. And now we have that pure communication with God once again. We can walk boldly into His throne room again. We can come before Him and ask that our debts be forgiven as we forget our debtors. We're asking God to forgive as we forgive. That's a scary thing to think about. So many of us want to hold on to grudges and we want to hold on to unforgiveness. We we get it in our minds, we we think in our minds, we think, well, that person doesn't deserve to be forgiven. I won't argue with you because I don't deserve to be forgiven. But nevertheless, by the grace of God, I was forgiven. And if by the grace of God I can be forgiven, then I think I can forgive somebody else. By the way, forgiveness, we do a whole series on forgiveness. I need to do that again. I'm thinking about it right after Easter time. But I was thinking about it in January of last year, and it never happened. So maybe, maybe if God willing, we'll do it this year. I haven't done it, I think it was five years ago that we went through a series on forgiveness. But one of the the, the key points in that is, that forgiveness, it doesn't let the person that offended you off the hook. It just takes it out of your heart, puts it on the plate of God. It lets him deal with it. He's very plain. He tells us in here, vengeance is mine. It's not mine. It's his. And so we forgive somebody. We're not, we're not letting them off the hook. We're saying, God, this is yours to deal with. That's what He does. He's a holy and just God. He judges and condemns sin. So let him do it. But do you see the standard? We're praying here. God is telling us the standard. You want to be forgiven. You want your debt to me forgiven. You want your offenses to me forgiven. Okay, I'll forgive you the same way you forgive other people. Ooh. That should be sobering when you hold on to those grudges. We want God to hold on to a grudge against us? That's what we're doing. That's what we're saying. Forgive us like we forgive others. God is telling us the standard. He's he's putting it right there. He's saying, this is what I'll do. Again, this isn't talking about the forgiveness for for the, the lost person. This is talking about his children. Remember who he's talking to here. You know, there's a misconception that this was, uh, the, the Sermon on the Mount was to the masses. It wasn't to the masses, although many of them heard it. But this is a teaching specifically to his disciples, his believers. And He's telling his believers, he's telling his followers, I'll forgive you as much as you forgive them. And we, in this world, we come across a lot of people that do us wrong. We come in a lot of contact with a lot of people that, that hurt us. And there's a lot of forgiveness. We, we have to be like, like a duck when you pour water on the back of a duck and it just runs off. We've got to get to that way because we can't hold on to that unforgiveness because that unforgiveness, just like, just like any other sin, builds that separation between us and God. We have to be quick to forgive. By the way, forgiveness also doesn't mean forgetting. It doesn't mean that, oh, I I forgave you so you get to hurt me again. No, there's many people, sometimes people that are very, very close to you that shouldn't be that close to you because of their actions. Sometimes they need to be an arm's distance. Sometimes they need to be a plane ride distance. Then lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Pray that God will will keep you from the awful, awful pull of temptation. I don't know what tempts you, but something tempts you. What tempts you probably wouldn't tempt me. When I was working with the inmates at the jail and I'd talk to them and they'd say, you don't understand the pull that crack has. I'm like, you're right, I don't. But that doesn't mean I don't understand temptation. It's just a different temptation. Temptation. I can't. I can't comprehend the desire to, to, to smoke something or put a needle in my I can't. I can't do that. I, I don't understand that, but I understand temptation because we all are tempted by something. Some are tempted by money. Some are tempted by power. Some are tempted by, by lustful thoughts. Some are, there's all kinds of temptations out there. And whatever it is, it doesn't matter. It's covered here. It's saying, God, protect me from these temptations. Don't allow me to get near these things that would tempt me. Keep those things far away from me. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The word that's used there for evil could also be translated as evil one. I think it's perfectly translated as evil because it's a much broader category. It doesn't matter if it's the evil one, Satan, protect me from Satan, but protect me from evil. Because here's the, here's the key to this. Most evil doesn't come from Satan. Most evil is contrived in our own hearts. So just to protect me from Satan, that's not enough, God. You've got to protect me from me. My thoughts, my desires, deliver me from that evil. Rescue me. Preserve me. Guard me from all evil. First Peter 5:8 talks about how this Satan is like like a, a roaring lion walking up, walking about seeking whom he may devour. protect me from that but also protect me from me and protect me from the evils of this world. This world is deteriorating. We're getting closer and closer to the return of God. if you don't believe that Christ is coming back soon just turn on the TV or read a newspaper. We're getting close. All the turmoil in the world. And you don't have to worry about the other countries in the world. The turmoil in our cities. You want to see turmoil? Go on Facebook. People on there are ready to kill each other. Over pizza. It makes no sense. But that's where we live. That's the day and age that we live in. You ever have a good time? Just go on to Facebook and ask somebody where the best pizza is you're gonna get death threats. I actually had people, this is a true story. I was in, I get in mood sometimes, where I get a little cantankerous and I just like to play with people and just, just to kind of push buttons because it, I don't play video games. I don't, I don't gamble, I don't, I, I, it's my source of entertainment sometimes. If something was said, I don't, remember, I don't even remember what the context of it was, but somebody in Canada made a comment, kind of a derogatory comment, and I'm like, you know, you people don't even know what the difference between ham and bacon, how much was to take you seriously? That was my response. Inappropriate, I get it. But what they call bacon isn't bacon, it's ham. Any Canadians in here? Okay, good. I received death threats. I had people sending me emails and messages saying that they were coming down from Canada to kill me because of my comment about their ham bacon. What? So I sent them my address. That's why I had to check her once in a while to see if there's any Canadians here. Well, I gave them Dean's address. (laughs) And sent them a picture of Dean looking mean. He's like, he can't understand why people keep vandalizing his truck. I don't know. But all the words are misspelled, so we're pretty sure it's Canadians. That's another one right there. It's gonna get me death threats. I just it's just where how does how do you use your mind going to killing somebody over a joke? It wasn't the best joke and it wasn't necessarily the nicest joke, but but it was it was a joke. And the, we're gonna kill somebody over that? We see all the time on TV that you know people are getting—they're killing each other because they didn't respect them. Well, how do you even measure respect? People killing each other over a couple dollars—it just makes no sense. But this is how evil a world has become. We have to request to avoid temptation. We have to request and beg God to deliver us from evil because we're all tempted. and We're all tempted often by common things. And no believer, no matter how pious they think they are, no matter how prayed up they are, no matter how much they've been fasting, no matter, no matter what their situation, is above falling, is above temptation. First Corinthians 10.12 10, says, Wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth Taketh heed lest he fall. So the man that says, "I'm fine, I'm perfect, and nothing can happen, that's the one that's going to fall. None of us are above it. And then verse 13 he says, "For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. There is praise, there is commitment. The point of of this doxology is is to stress that everything belongs to God. We're acknowledging everything we just prayed. We're kind of putting it back in there because we're saying that thine is the kingdom. Thine is the power. Thine is the glory. Why? Because he's the source of the kingdom. He's the source of the power. And he should be the recipient of all the power and all the glory. The believer, we belong, even though that kingdom is not here yet, we belong to that kingdom. We are part of that kingdom. We are simply passing through this world now. Our citizenship is in the kingdom of God. We belong to that kingdom. We belong to his power. God has, has delivered us from sin. He's the, the, and we, He continues to deliver us every day. We belong and we rely upon that power and we belong to God's glory. Ephesians 2.7 says that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. We belong to his glory. We are owned by him. And then, and then he closes it out with the word amen. It's a word that sometimes we throw around a little bit too much or sometimes not enough. Be nice if we had a few more amens in the service. But literally, when we say amen, it's different than when God says amen. When we say amen, it means so be it. In other words, that's true. We want that to happen. This is a good thing. When when God says amen, He's saying it is. We're saying so be it, and He says it is. It's a little different when He says it, it's a petition. When we say it, we're saying, God, please let it be when we say amen. When God says amen, God says, it is. It is. So different. God gave us his model prayer. He gave us this prayer because he wants us to talk to him. He wants us to be a praying people. He wants more than just the obligatory prayers in church or you know, when we sit down to eat our food and we pray for the blessing on our food. He wants more than that. He desires a close relationship with us. And he gives us the pattern. He gives us the way to be able to do that, to be able to talk to him. How awesome is that? Not the head of state, but the creator of the state. Not the emperor of the world, but the creator of the world. He not only created everything in the universe, but he holds it together in his hand. tuned more finely than any watch made by any watchmaker is this universe that we live in. That power, when we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, that power comes to live inside us as in the form of the Holy Spirit, the earnest of our salvation. And, and because of that, we have the ability to talk to God whatever we want. It seems like to me, it seems like the problem would, wouldn't be that we don't pray enough. It would seem like we'd be praying too much. Unfortunately, that's not the problem. The problem is we have Christians that just don't pray. We need to be a praying people. God has saved us from so much already. He's taken us off the path to hell and put us on the path to heaven. How awesome is that? Isn't that reason enough just to daily get down on your knees and say, thank you? To recognize what he's done. Isn't that enough just to to stop and say, God, thank you for everything you've done? And God, I want your will to be done through me. Isn't that enough? If it wasn't for the grace of God, some of us wouldn't be here today. I mean, and not just in this building. None of us would be in this building without the grace of God. I'm saying we wouldn't be in this realm if it wasn't for the grace of God. Isn't that enough? Just to say thank you? Isn't that enough to say, God, I surrender? Isn't that enough to say, God, forgive me? Isn't that enough to say, God, help me to forgive others? I think that's enough.